Breaker Breaker 1-9, this is Brewbloods, and we're headed into a choke puke to get some go-go juice from the film classic Smokey and the Bandit, discuss Coors' impact on the beer culture in the 1970s, and have a face-off between Coors Yellowbelly and Batch 19. So settle up, good buddies, this is Brewbloods. First rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. I'm going to float like a butterfly and sing like a bee. I want you to give me fresh beer. You serious? Now! You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. So, it's a drinking one standing wins. <laughs> Let's get it all! Episode 60 of Brew Bloods. The best audience is intelligent, well-educated, and a little drunk. That from Kentucky politician Alvin W. Barkley. Isn't that part of why we do a crappier podcast, though? I think uh, our audience is the best, and they're probably drunk while they're listening to this. That's if, what you hope. If they're not, then they're failing us. That's why none of the, uh, otherwise none of the humor would land. I don't, think I don't they, know if it does anyway. I, but, it, I don't think it lands anyway. No, but, well. So, I thought somebody said we were funny once. Uh, maybe a but maybe a more people said we weren't. Humor. So yes, I don't think anybody really just says anything about us. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's the majority opinion is no opinion. But uh, welcome back to Brew Bloods episode sixty. We're kind of combining previous features here. We've got another face off, and we've got our uh, beers and movies segment that we've done before. And it's, uh, it's a nice little combo platter for it, you. It is a nice little combo platter, and this time we're taking on one of my favorite movies as a child. Which is uh, the classic beer movie Smokey and the Bandit. Now, did you make a lot of fake barbecue sauce while you were eating, the, or while you were watching this movie? Of course, that's all I did as a child was make <laughs> fake barbecue sauce. Nobody gets that reference. <laughs> yeah, go uh, go listen to the Break Room, which has uh, been revived, and you'll figure out what that's about at breakroom.tv. Yes, see, that's cross promotion, Mark. So let's get into the movie part of this. Normally, we'd cover news here, but we're not doing that today. Um, Dustin, you had never seen Smokey and the Bandit, correct? That's correct. I'm trying to think, other than maybe Boogie Nights, how many Burt Reynolds movies I've even seen over the years. <laughs> I think that might be that might be it. Did actually. you ever see the one where, oh uh, God, the, what's the Demi Moore played the stripper striptease? Did you ever uh, see that where he was he was a greased up cowboy? Okay, yeah, I did see that, but I didn't. It's very forgettable. So I guess I forgot he was in it. And you've never seen Cannonball Run? Never seen Cannonball Run. Never seen Gator? Nope. Man, you've been missing I'm out. I'm telling there. you, I've, I've been missing out on the Burt Reynolds catalog. <laughs> you need to go back and celebrate the entire thing. <laughs> so I love this film. It was, I don't know how many times I watched it growing up. When I was a kid, in the, we were both born in 1980. and about, That's a brag for us. It is. About somewhere in the early 80s to all the way probably up to the 90s, maybe even early 90s, kick-ass vehicles were an icon on both the small and big screen. And you look at... I would say kick-ass vehicles go all the way back to muscle cars. I mean, you're uh, talking like 60s and Well, no, and no, no. I, I'm saying iconic... So I'm, ta- I'm talking your vehicles like... 50s. Uh, Knight Rider, Airwolf, oh, okay, the yeah, A-Team yeah. van, like the television. van. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like those... like TV where, shows based around kick-ass vehicles? Yeah, yeah, where the, the vehicles themselves were almost characters on screen. Sure. So that's what I'm talking about, is where the car was kind of a star. Or what, not kind of, it but was a star. It was the main star. And I don't know... How far that goes back, I'm sure if you go back to some of the old street racing movies... Like, or My Mother the Car? <laughs> yeah, or My Mother the Car, or Christine. Um, 
but it felt like it really reached its zenith in like the late mid to late eighties. And I feel like even now we put a lot of emphasis on cars because obviously with Fast and Furious, but they don't keep the same cars from film to film. No, so not they're not really stars of the film. The driving is more the star of the film of those. It's not like Airwolf or the General Lee or something that you you know the same car over and over again. Yeah, yeah, they have different car movies, so it's not quite as special. Or Knight Rider, like you mentioned. Yeah. And then, like you said, Dukes of Hazard was a popular TV show with the General Lee. You had Knight Rider, Airwolf, A-Team Van, Scooby Van. Uh, there's Mask, the cartoon, which was all vehicles. Transformers, uh, things like that. It really made vehicles. It was Everything became very vehicle-centric for a while. And I feel like, I, I'm sure there were movies I'm not well-versed with. And there's one that's on I'm the tip sure of my mind that, that I, I can't think of. But, but I feel like Smoking the Bandit really kind of kicked off. It really provided the, the foundation for Dukes of Hazard. For that crazy supercar that could do just about any stunt with no damage. Yeah, I think the car chase movie had definitely been done already at that point, but I feel like this one's a little more over the top, like you say, that you can pretty much run into anything and the car is perfectly fine. Uh, Well, I guess anything that the bandit runs into is fine, but anything the cops run into, it totally destroys their vehicle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it would really... I feel like it really provided a foundation for... um, the giant car, uh, like pileup of cop cars, too. Because like if you Blues look at Brothers, yeah, I was gonna say if you look at Smoking the Bandit at the end, there's just this giant marathon conglomerate of cops and their cars getting destroyed, and it was huge for its time. But then Blues Brothers and so Smoking the Bandit was 1977. Blues Brothers then one upped it by tearing through a mall, and then they had an even bigger, even more cars were destroyed in 1980 uh, with Blues Brothers. So it really provided in another iconic car, by the way, the uh, cop car with the giant speaker on top. True, and uh, it really provided a foundation for what was to come in the in the following decade. As a kid, though, I love this. I love this movie, and I love Cannibal Run, both of which featured Burt Reynolds as a driver. Uh, Cannibal Run was about a race across country, and uh, and this wasn't that similar, except it was just really half the country. Yeah, I was so going to say, and I think he did the, the lower quarter of the country. Yeah, so he had a, he had four films there. So he had Smokey and the Bandit one and two. He opted out of three, and then he had uh, Cannibal One, Cannibal Run one and two. I think he was in two, if I remember right. And both of those were, you know, sort of race-esque environments in, in super awesome cars. I'm going to assume that the Smoking the Bandit franchise just went downhill after the first one. You know, I don't remember three at all. And There you go. It only, ins- I think it had Jerry Reed was the main star as Snowman. Oh, okay. I don't think it had, I could be wrong, but I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And I've only seen uh, one and two most recently. And I have not had time to go back and watch three. I would like to watch it just for posterity's sake, but... It's one of those movies well, that I love. You do that, and we can do a shorty on it. And I, it's one of those movies that I can still watch all the time, and I always find enjoyment. I, I feel like, to me, Jackie Gleason in this movie, as Buford T. Justice, is peak Jackie Gleason. Uh, he's just kind of, it's all of his characters kind of coming into one, uh, you know, merging into one super form. <laughs> yes, yeah, I could see that. Egomaniacal, southern racist, ridiculous southern sheriff. And <laughs> Montauk County, not very far from here. Yeah, in Montauk County. At least sounds more like he's from Georgia, not from not from Texas. But Yeah, a lot of people do that, though. If you're not aware of this film for some weird reason, it's it's a movie that was set, and we'll talk about this in education, but it's it's all about bootlegging Coors Yellow Belly beers from Texarkana to Georgia because these two super rich guys, biggest, biggest and littleness, who are father and son, who are ridiculous, uh, they both always wear matching suits. They hire the bandit to 
uh, get them Coors because it was the most sought after beer at the time back in the time for celebrate a, in style apparently yeah, for a for a uh, for a truck rodeo. And the other interesting thing about this was it was not only the fascination with Coors; it was the confluence of of Coors beer. And the fascination with the CB radio in the 1970s and 80s. Yes. The CB used to be pretty awesome. CB and truck, not only CBs, but truck culture. Yeah. Uh, 18-wheeler truck culture at the time. And all that slang. And, I enjoyed and, the CB, the limited exposure I had to them. Yeah. I, I enjoyed them back in the day. And that continued well into our, our childhood. That was our version of the cell phone kids. Yeah, I was I was fascinated with CBs as a kid. And all the language, the, the fancy speak, the break one-niner. Oh, yeah. and uh, Remember I had a pair of CBs. We'd walk out <laughs> in the front yard, and we would actually talk to truckers driving down on 20. Yeah, yeah we would. So I was, I was, That's how into CBs we were. I was uh, absolutely absolutely fascinated with it, too. But there's been, there were a number of movies yeah, at the we time. We were in Abilene, so there wasn't much else to do. That was, that was very entertaining back in the day. I think it was Overdrive with Sylvester Stallone was also part of that, where it was a combination of... Uh, arm wrestling and truck driving. If I remember the, if I remember yeah, the movie yeah. right, yeah, yeah, arm, like, uh, arm wrestling was definitely involved. Seems like there was a there were a number of movies coming out of that era that was just this fascination with this whole culture. But it feels like Smokey the Bandit's kind of this peak thing because everybody knows who the Bandit is. They sure. can just casually observe him in a completely new car, but they just. Catch him passing by at 90 miles an hour, and they can immediately tell who it is. And everyone knows him all from Texarkana all the way to Atlanta. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Every, <laughs> little, every little hamlet everywhere. Everybody knows the bandit. They know him before he gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody from, uh, you know, teenagers on the side of the road and then jalopies to uh, people leading a funeral procession. Yes, it doesn't matter. So, and then on the, to me, you add on top of that, you add in the great country classic singer Jerry Reed as the snowman driving the, <laughs> the actual boot. He's actually doing the bootlegging itself while. Well. Uh, he and his dog are pretty much doing yeah, the bootlegging. He and his dog, uh, Fred. Yeah. And uh, the bandit is running as a blocker for them to distract the police so they don't catch on to him. I I mean, Jerry Reed is... He didn't do that many movies, but he really makes a mark in, in these couple of movies. He just got such... And he makes it, obviously, a unique mark on uh, country music as well. He's got such a unique voice, a unique draw to it. And he, he calls everybody son. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's just... Uh, he's a unique character. And I, I love seeing him on screen. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, the opening scene when they wake him up, and uh, then Burt Reynolds comes in and just kind of sprays some deodorant over his undershirt <laughs> yeah. that's on, and yeah. says, "Let's go ahead and hit the road." And that's yeah. pretty much he's pretty much ready to go there. I, I kinda, don't think that's the best way to apply deodorant. No, but, but I, I've, I've always surmised that that's kind of the way the 1970s were. Is that I've always surmised just by watching film, and I was not <laughs> outside alive. the shirt deodorant. No, that just kind of everybody was just didn't shower a lot. Everybody kind of <laughs> there wasn't doing quite that well. Yeah, there's a lot of onion crotch going on. <laughs> That was uh, the decade of onion crotch. Well, a lot of not changing clothes, a lot of onion crotch, a lot of There's sweat. There was onion crotch in the nineties. In fairness, oh, there, there was, but we I'm saying we experienced it and we're around it. But if you look at the uh, look at film and popular culture back then, everything everybody just kind of appeared kind of greasy, kind of disheveled, unkempt. Yeah, uh, not as as kempt as they would be a decade later. True, and it just kind of felt like it would be a really smelly era to live in. Not it might have been from from a personal hygiene hygiene point of view. Plus, you know, rampant smoking, and so maybe a lot, this, of, a lot of brown and orange combos. Yeah, a lot of brown and orange and green and yellow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember my mom had a shag carpet when I was growing up. They got and they had uh, it was green, yellow, and brown shag carpet. Mm. And then the plates she received as a wedding gift were brown and orange. Yeah, my grandparents had a brown shag carpet as well, and uh, the, some of the plates that we had as hand me downs had like the brown outer rim and then some white in the middle and then a, like a big brown splotch in the middle of some like yeah. i don't know what it was like a pear or something but it wasn't really pear color it was just brown it was they were really 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 terrible and as i got older i was always so grossed up by shag carpet i always felt and that now i feel like shag how, carpet how, is much, crushed. how much yacht does that catch yeah it's, it's, it's a lot that's probably where zika was born with shag carpet it's probably all the <laughs> leftover everything shag carpet 
uh, down there in Brazil <laughs> was that's what born or born birthed born did birthed the Zika virus. And so now because of shag carpet, we're going to get tiny head of babies. Absolutely. So Dustin, I, I'm going to, I love this movie. I, I mean, I'm sure it's no surprise. I'm going to give it a high rating. I give it five out of five. I love the movie end to end. Uh, there's, you know, there, there's a couple of moments that make me flinch, but it's mostly around uh, Buford T justice and his racist comments. But it also, the, the whole point of the movie is you're making him look like an asshole. Sure. There's just a couple of moments that I'm just kind of like when he talks about uh, his son, uh, he's going to, when he gets home, he's going to punch his mom in the mouth. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, it's it's all about hindsight. Whatever it was, There's, the culture of the time. It's that, and the bandits' car has the stars and bars license plate. Yeah, but you know, that's you that probably wouldn't, you be, wouldn't pull off nowadays. That's well, all that's I'm not true. To be fair, that is still very prevalent in the South. Yeah, but e- it's even not, on, it's not near as accepting these days. Let's put it. Oh that no, way. no, but it's but it's on state flags, and so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you, you for can now, still, you yeah. can still get it on your license plate. I know, but I don't think they would put that in a movie these days. I'd, I'd be oh no, but you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things that make me flinch, but. Yeah. But overall, but yes, you, it's it, also a it's also a movie in the late seventies. It's yeah. not a movie in twenty sixteen. So. If you view it, view it as a product of its time, yeah, I don't course. find that many flaws with the movie. And he, it's peak peak Jackie Gleason uh, and peak Sally Field and peak Burt Reynolds and peak Jerry Reed as well. I was going to say that's the uh, hottest I've seen Sally Field and Burt Reynolds. Uh, I don't know when she was the Flying Nun. Uh, back I, on TV, I disagree. Land? I thought she was better really? looking in this. Yeah, uh, but overall, the movie, I. I could see if I was a kid, I would enjoy that movie. You don't like it? You don't like it? Um, well, I wouldn't say I necessarily don't like it, but it's definitely goofy as hell. Just well, yeah. make sure you know that going into it. Yeah, but it's supposed to be. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying it's it, it really lives up to the goofy as hell uh, that, it's, that it's supposed to be. And the performances in it are actually not bad. Like you said, I think I think Jackie Gleason's pretty good. The the stupid kid that's hanging out with him, his stupid son, yeah. is also Daddy? pretty good. He's pretty good at being a moron. I love that uh, that scene where he... Walks into the diner where the bandit is, and he orders a Diablo sandwich. Yeah, and I'm in a hurry. And he asks his son, "Son, what he wants?" And he's like, "Hush, puppies, Daddy. We ain't got time for no damn hush puppies." <laughs> and then the bandit's sitting right there with him and cleans his shirt for him. Yeah, and keep in mind his son is like 43. Yeah, so. exactly. Yes, he's like uh, the young Bluth or something that yeah. still still can't quite get it all together. Yeah. Um, but you know the the premise is really kind of goofy and you know that going into it i mean they're doing a coors beer run from texarkana would have it's going to be over the top uh ridiculous they make they make every hamlet between texarkana yeah. and atlanta look like just the biggest bunch of idiots that all have like one cop car per per uh, county yeah that all like get destroyed somehow get run into a river get uh blown up or something oh yeah there's also the very uncomfortable uh Buford T. Justice moment when he runs into the black sheriff. Yeah. Uh, that's that's very racially uncomfortable, yes, but yes. Uh, again, a, a product of its time. But um, well, and again, that's one of those points where I know you're making a, him look like a, the racist asshole he is. Right, exactly. But I mean, overall, I guess if you know you know what you're you're in for, and you don't really have exceptionally high expectations for it, uh, it could be a fun. It's a fun, goofy movie. I'll give it that. Uh, so I'd probably give it. I don't have the nostalgia effect that you do as well because obviously that's that's kicking it up to a five out of five for you. But uh, I would say I would probably give it a three out of five. It's 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 worth watching. I think you'd like to watch it once. I don't know if it'd be a classic I could watch any time, but it, it was it wasn't bad for one watch. I'd probably watch it once a year, so I give it five out of five. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, set up your weekend to win. Uh, go go get uh, Smoking the Bandit and then follow it up with Cannonball Run. And Smoking the Bandit 3. Although I enjoy Cannonball Run less than uh, Smoking the Bandit. Well, that's so, good to know. If it's if it's worse than this, I'll probably skip it. 
All right. Well, coming up, we have a face-off, and it all this is, is a powerhouse face-off. It here. really is. It really is. It all involves around smoking the bandit, and coming out of that is the Coors Yellow Belly, and the or, AKA the Coors Banquet, and their latest quote unquote craft beer. Since we're a craft beer podcast, we yeah. feel like we had to cover their craft beer. We wanted to carry or. or Face off the classic versus their current craft quote unquote beer, and this is their craft name under the Coors label. Not we're not talking about uh, any other acquisitions or any other potential right. lawsuits that occurred. Uh, well, this is their straight up craft. This is their batch nineteen. But for now, let's find out about the history of the Coors Yellow Belly. probably shouting at your phone right now demanding to know why we're taking on something from Coors, a giant macro brewer and a company who many accuse of trying to kill craft beer. Simply put, at one point Coors Banquet Beer was allegedly the best beer you could get in the United States. The 1970s was a pivotal decade for beer. After Prohibition ended, the United States was left without most of its craft brewers that it had enjoyed before, and many traditions and styles brought by immigrants had completely disappeared. Larger breweries were swallowing up and shutting down the little guys, so much so that at one point, the United States only had 44 breweries left. Though a few, like Fritz Maytag's Anchor Brewing, were trying to hold on, industry experts believed that eventually we would be left with only five. Bill Coors himself predicted we would be left with only three by 1990. Now firmly in control of the market, those larger breweries began massive advertising campaigns for lighter beers, as they saw more profit using cheaper products and adjuncts like rice and corn. The campaigns worked, and consumer culture found itself preferring light lagers. Imported beers could hardly be found. And thus, the brief obsession with Coors Banquet Beer began, and it became the inspiration for Smokey and the Bandit. Coors Banquet Beer was brewed with water from the springs around Golden, Colorado, and contained no preservatives, stabilizers, and was unpasteurized, which was an oddity for Coors because they were a pioneer in beer sterilization. Leaving out all those chemicals greatly enhanced the flavor, but if left unrefrigerated, it would spoil within a week. Banquet became the favorite beer in the United States and was called the Chateaubriand of American Beers by Time Magazine in 1974, but it was illegal to sell east of the Mississippi River and was only available in 11 states. However, President Eisenhower used the power of the Oval Office and had regular shipments delivered by the Air Force, and both he and Vice President Gerald Ford would routinely pack Air Force One full of the stuff. Actor Paul Newman refused to be seen drinking any other brand of beer on screen. Until he was shut down by Smokies, trucker Frederick Ammon, who was probably an inspiration for Smokey and the Bandit, used to drive a refrigerated truck every week from Denver to Charlotte, North Carolina, where he would sell it for as much as $1 a can, when a six-pack in Denver would only cost you $150. In fact, while director Hal Needham was working on the movie Gator in Georgia with Burt Reynolds, his driver brought him cases he'd smuggled from California. The beers kept disappearing from his hotel room, and he discovered that the hotel maid who was stealing them was obsessed with it, thus leading to the idea that became Smokey and the Bandit. The dark ages of craft beer finally saw some light at the end of the 1970s, when in 1978, President Jimmy Carter made homebrewing legal again, leading to the renaissance we now find ourselves enjoying. The industry has exploded from a low point of 44 breweries in the 1970s to over 4,000 as of September 2015. But as Texas and other states like Alabama have proven with their absurd laws, we still have a long ways to go, and it may be a long time before we get there. We've got a long way to go, and a short time to get there. So we've had a pretty good run of beers lately. We've had a lot of really 
above average to really great beers. And I think we're about to reach the end of that run. We had a lot of chocolate beers. We just had a really stout double IPA. And now we're going all the all the way around. <laughs> we're going <laughs> going all the way in the other direction. We're going to the ass end of things. <laughs> because today we're taking on the Coors Banquet Beer, a.k.a. the Yellow Belly. The, one of the most classic, if not the most classic, of Coors beers. And Coors, uh, not their latest entry into the craft market, but it's a try. A try to dip part of a toe into a craft beer market, and that's <laughs> the Batch 19, the pre-prohibition lager. It's really the only one that they've done under their Coors name. True. So I would say them, it's their only uh, adventure or venture adventure into uh, craft beer. Most of them have been straight up acquisitions. Yeah, I mean, you know, Blue Moon and stuff like that. If you Killians, you know, if you consider those craft, but right. um, yeah, under the under the Coors name, this is the only one. But the reason we're doing this is because we felt like I, you know, my love for smoking the Bandit. It's a and it kind of is a we're doing this because Mark demanded it. Yes. Because it's kind of a, a window into the time of the 1970s when Coors was the king of beer, as far as it was the most desired beer. It may not have been number one in terms of sale, because they could only, I think they were only available for sale in like 11 or 12 states at the time, but they were the most sought-after beer in the United States. He graduated from being under the control of big craft beer and no label to now he's under the control of big macro beer in Coors. That's right. And he does a uh, craft beer podcast, so I'll try to keep him balanced out, guys. It won't work. Yeah, that's true. Too much money. All the way. Too much. Too much money coming in. Yeah, we're getting so much money. <laughs> all right. So, man, I don't even know where to begin with this. Well, let's just start with some of uh, Coors' other beers. Okay. Uh, like we mentioned, they have a lot of other beers under other names. They. Oh, you know where we should start is our own personal experience with Coors. <laughs> you want to do that first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do that first. So. We have some history with Coors. Uh, back in the day, in the uh, in our early drinking careers, back before <laughs> we knew even of what craft beer was, this was the year two thousand. <laughs> in the year two thousand, <laughs> that's how old we are, people. Um, what I, th- I remember the first time getting drunk was drinking Coors Light, <laughs> and it was myself, your wife, and our friend Thomas the Tank. Yes, and we were in your apartment in uh, Plano, and we went through one case of Coors. And we went and bought another case, but we couldn't find any cold. Right. And so all we had, the only thing, <laughs> we're such morons. <laughs> uh, we were so determined, we decided to pour it over ice and drink it through straws. And we did. We drank we did. several. We did. And we got drunk on it. Oh, we did. I, I seem to remember having a count of 19 at some point. Now, I guess if you drink like 15 Coors Lights, that'll make you drunk probably. That'll at least yeah. get you tipsy to drunk even today. Yes. But you have to be able to drink 15 of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I had quite the beer belly at the time. <laughs> and that led to all uh, all sorts of, uh, at least famous to us, inside jokes that live on to this day, They're 16 still years quoted later. today, yes. yes. It, well, None well, of you would understand it, it but for us, it's still amusing. It wouldn't be funny for anybody else, but it provided a lot of comedic material that persists. Yes. But uh, in the back of the day, we did have the occasional access to a yellow belly, but even back then, it was not widely distributed. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I feel like the light label is the one that you're going to see everywhere in the yellow belly. Uh, you kind of have to search for a little bit, actually. Which it's is, only which is kind of strange. Yeah, it's only in the last few years that Coors has really started pumping their classic label again. And apparently, this uh, this is a highly valued product in Canada. They only recently started getting Coors at all, and they, it was one of those things that would get smuggled across the border. And they really love the yellow belly up north. Now, some of the other beers that Coors does have under their umbrella um, is Blue Moon. Uh, we talked about Blue Moon in the lawsuit uh, that that guy tried to file for saying it was craft beer. Evan generically named parents. 
Uh, exactly. And I think, I think almost everybody understands that, uh, Blue Moon was under Coors. I think if you have any idea of anything about the craft beer game, you know that they're owned by Coors. Uh, that gets a nice rating of a 35. Um, at least the White Ale, that's their top rated, or the most rated beer, uh, the Blue Moon Belgian White Ale. And that gets a 35. The, uh, Coors Light, uh, actually comes in with a zero. <laughs> Uh, the Killian's Irish Red, which we have reviewed right here on this very program, uh, gets a 17. Um, Blue Moon Harvest Pumpkin Ale gets a 17, which I've had that. I think it's a little better than that. Uh, Keystone Light gets a nice zero. The Blue Moon Regular Wheat Ale gets a 16. Uh, the Belgian Ale gets a 16. Uh, the Coors Batch 19 we'll get to um, in a moment, but it's also it's, it's on the list here. Uh, again, that's their only other one that's actually under the Coors name. And then uh, Keystone Ice comes in with a big fat zero. Where does Zima fall on this list? Wasn't that a Miller Coors product, or was that uh, uh, Zima? Was is, that, is uh, so double dead. I, I think <laughs> the, it doesn't really rate anymore. So let's find out about the history of Coors. <laughs> In 1873, German immigrants Adolf Coors and Jacob Schuler established a brewery in Golden, Colorado after buying a recipe for a Pilsner-style beer from a Czech immigrant, William Silham. Coors invested $2,000 in the operation, and Schuler invested $18,000. In 1880, Coors bought out his partner and became sole owner of the brewery. Now, Coors continues to operate in Golden, Colorado, a brewery that is now the largest single brewing facility in the world. For much of its history, Coors Beer was a regional product and its marketing area was confined to the American West. While California and Texas were part of the 11-state distribution area, Washington and Montana were not added until 1976, and Oregon did not approve sales in grocery stores until 1985. This gave it mystique and made it a novelty, particularly on the East Coast, and visitors returning from the western states often brought back a case. This iconic status was reflected in the 1977 movie, Smokey and the Bandit, which centered around an illegal shipment of Coors from Texas to Georgia. The company finally established nationwide distribution in the United States in the mid-1980s. Coors is the second largest brewer in the United States. As of 2014, they produce over 62 million barrels a year in the U.S. market alone, with $4.2 billion in net sales. The company also employs over 5,300 people. The BJCP for a lager, a standard American lager, which is really what both of these are, is the aroma. Round one here. The aroma should be little to no malt aroma, although it can be grainy, sweet, or corn-like at present. Hop aroma may range from none to a light, spicy, or floral hop presence, and low levels of yeast character. Now, I guess for round one here, let's start with uh, the old yield yellow belly. Sure. I mean, we're going to do these side by side, but we can at least start with talking about that. Uh, the Coors Banquet uh, North American Adjunct Lager is what they describe it as. This comes in with a nice ABV of uh, 5%. Uh, this is the first introduced, uh, this was the beer first introduced by Adolf Coors in April 19, uh, excuse me, 1874, and is brewed in the Rockies for a unique, crisp, clean, and drinkable mile high taste, they say. Uh, beer Advocate gives it a 64 uh, out of 100 reviews. Uh, rate beer gives it a one out of 100 overall, or of, excuse me, a one out of 100. So, uh, basically just a one rating and then it's only 11 in style. So definitely one of the lowest rated beers on both fronts that we've ever, we've ever tackled. Uh, and untapped gives it a 2.66 out of five on 111,000 reviews. So definitely one of the most reviewed beers we've ever had as well. So do you think, I don't know. I mean, do you think this is a case of being a beer bowling? The fact that they're so lowly rated. Because I haven't uh, had either one of yeah. these beers in a long, long... Well, I haven't had Batch 19. I haven't had 
Yellow Belly in a long time. Well, let's go ahead and kick it over to the craft beer entry. Since we're doing these head-to-head, we can go ahead and cover both of these up front. Uh, the Batch 19 is technically a pale lager. I don't know how that differs from an adjunct lager, but it's. But I guess it's at least different enough for them to note that it's uh, got a different heading. Uh, the ABV. Now watch out. This an a, this one has an ABV of five point five percent, and it actually does have an IBU of twenty six. So you know maybe a little more pl- uh, flavor profile. Uh, beer Advocate gives it a seventy nine out of one hundred. Uh, Rate Beer gives it a twenty one out of one hundred and fifty two in style. And Untapped gives it a three point oh two on forty four thousand nine hundred ratings. So. I guess the pale lager should, uh, the batch 19 should give us a little bit better uh, taste. In theory. In theory. What are your expectations? What do you think? Uh, my expectation is to like it better than they say here, but to still not be very uh, pleased with it. I kind of expect the banquet beer to have absolutely no flavor, and I expect the batch 19 to have maybe a little something to it, uh, but still not, not going to be that great. That's kind of my thought. I'm hoping, just for nostalgia's sake, that the yellow belly is better. Because, you know, back in the day it was so highly valued, and but they had a lot less processing to it. Now, what I could never find out in the modern era, they have changed recipes a little bit, but I don't know if they're now including the preservatives and filtration that they didn't do back in the 70s that they were so famous for and supposedly why it made, ta- uh, made it taste better. I, I don't know. I don't know what they've done to this beer, and, it, and they really don't come out and say how it's different from back then. That's I'm, a good point. I never, I never thought about that, but yeah, that definitely would make it taste different and, and should have an effect on it. My expectation um, is it's going to taste worse than it did back in the seventies. Uh, yeah, although uh, we'll have to get in our time machine, the same one that we took back to Wicks and Sticks and Abilene, and we'll have to go back to the seventies and try Yellow Belly, true, and then see what we think about it. We'll have to kidnap Bill Coors, <laughs> yeah, find exactly. out what the recipe was, and then and then go to the future and kidnap. Uh, Bill Coors the fourth, or whoever's running Coors now, and, and and then we'll take them both back to 1875 for Adolf Coors, and then we'll compare <laughs> all of them, just see what happens. And then we'll take them forward to 1934 and give them to Adolf Hitler, <laughs> just because they're both named Adolf, right? So the uh, round one, the BJCP Standard American Lager aroma is little to no malt aroma, although it can be grainy, sweet, or corn-like if present. Hop aroma may range from none to a light, spicy, or floral hop presence. So. We'll start with the start with the yellow belly. Yeah, um, not not really any. Uh, maybe a little malt. Uh, that's little. That, I would say it has little to nothing else other than malt. Yeah, it has, just just little malt aroma. That's about it. If it has anything, it has malt. Yeah, I, I would say it has some malt, and that's pretty much what I expect from from a standard American lager. Little to no character. Yeah, I don't expect a lot from it. It's so thin and doesn't have much doesn't have much to it. So I would expect it to be like that. Now, the Batch 19 is supposedly their pre-prohibition recipe. Right. I would say it actually has less aroma, though. I would agree. It's a little more grainy. It's a little or grainier, I, but I, there's nothing. <laughs> it's like just breathing air. And the more I smell it, the less I get. Yeah. It's receding. Like, there was a there was a little whiff up front, like a tiny little ghost poking his head up through my nose, pick, taking a little booger out of my nose. How's it going? But it's kind of gone now. I'm Tiny Booger Batch 19. Yeah, even now, like I can't, I can smell nothing out of that beer. There, yeah, there's nothing at all. Whereas at least with the banquet beer, I still get some of that malt aroma. Yeah, there is some malt aroma for that for sure. So I think we agree that the banquet beer handily wins round one. Yeah, it, the the aroma goes to yellow belly. Round two appearance. Now in this case, the BJCP says it should be a very pale straw to medium yellow color, white frothy head, seldom persists, and very very clear. 
Um, yeah, I would say on the yellow belly, there is no head at all after I poured it. Um, it, it's very carbonated and it does look like urine. So it does sound like it does fit the exact description that they're talking about. So I, I think it falls within parameters. It's uh, it's the color of dehydrated urine. Sure. And when it's pouring, it's so clear. It almost, it really does look like water. It does. It looks almost exactly like water. I would agree. And it pours a, a giant white head, pure white head that recedes very quickly and leaves very quickly. Nothing. The batch nineteen, however, is almost cloudy. It's a little way. cloudy. A little it's cloudy. A, it's almost a little red. It's too. a. I would say almost like a pumpkin orange to it. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely different. More of your. Uh, I'm sorry. The the banquet was the hydrated urine. This is the dehydrated urine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is this is the color uh, that you'll get after you drank about nineteen of either of these beers. And I would say mine is retaining a decent size head on it. I don't know if yours is. But it's, it's better than the, the banquet beer, for sure. I have nothing on the banquet beer, and I actually have... I mean, look at that. That's that's pretty good. That's a decent yeah. size head on there. And almost no carbonation on the uh, Batch 19, whereas in the banquet beer, it's heavily carbonated. I mean, it's like oh, looking man. at a fish tank. I disagree on no carbonation on the 19. Hold that really? up, man. There, there's a lot of bubbling going on in there. Man, mine, mine has almost none at all. Look at that. Especially when you compare it... All right. Well, yours is a little more active. Yeah. But I'm saying if you compare it to the yellow belly. Oh, yeah. Not in comparison. The yellow it's, belly look like, looks like a, a giant uh, Miami fish tank. <laughs> it like does. Something that a it pimp, looks like there's a bubble machine in the bottom of it. Yeah. It looks like something that a pimp would sport in his home. He would float his fish into this uh, beer. <laughs> it's so heavily carbonated. How would a pimp uh, talk about that? He's like, hey, I got some cores. Hey, my hoes and my bitches. I'm going to punch them in the face and take your money. Oh. There. There we go. That's a very classic pimp impression. That was, yes. I'm known for my impressions of pimps. <laughs> Oh, and I do have to correct something. Uh, Mark just didn't put it on the document, but the Coors Banquet does have an IBU of six. Oh, okay. I missed that. Sorry. So there's a, there's a little something there. All right. So I don't know how to judge it. This is, this is tough because if you're looking for craft, quote unquote, Batch 19 has an unfiltered, more of an unfiltered, not to say it's, fil- it's, not, or it's not filtered at all, but it is, but it has more of a crafty-like appearance, I guess. Although that's yeah. probably more calculated than we, you know, than, it, than we would like to think it is. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, I like the, I just personally like the appearance of batch 19 better if I had to pick one, um, which one hits the standards better. Uh, I don't know. It actually sounds like maybe the banquet does because they say little, no head and, uh, more of an orange or more of a yellow color. Yeah. Pale straw um, to medium yellow is, is the standard. Yeah. And that batch 19 is not that color, but, and one of the hallmarks is being very clear. Yeah. But you know, batch 19 is also a pale lager opposed to just a straight up lager. So maybe that's supposed to have a little bit of a different color to it. Uh, I I almost have to call it a tie, because it depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, I would um, have to agree. They they both have to me about the same head. Uh, carbonation is heavier in the banquet beer, but I don't know. I feel like if they're going for a craft angle, the batch 19 is kind of more in their favor in appearance wise. Yeah, I would agree. So I'm going to say even again, just like last week, the two boxers punched each other in the face and they both knocked each other out. Exactly. So that was that was two weeks ago. The thing two weeks whatever the yeah. thing we've been dreading. Flavor. Flavor. Okay, so we're going to start with the Yellow Belly at its overall one rating. Let's go with that. Yeah, that's a light lager. Although they don't call it. It's not really a light lager. In in theory, it's a light lager by today's standards. Yeah, it's a light lager. It has um, a super malty up front. has kind of a, a different... Uh, more bready, like fat bready taste uh, on the back end of the tongue. Uh, I can't think of a better way to say that, but it, I feel like it's a little, it's light, but it, it it has like a heavier flavor on the back of the tongue that's more 
it's more bready, and the front end's more like sweet malty almost uh, for me. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it probably fits uh, within what it's supposed to taste like, but it definitely tastes like a light lager, like I would expect. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, that's what it tastes like. It tastes like a heavy, as it should, a heavier Coors Light. Well, these standards are crisp and dry flavor with some low levels of grainy or corn-like sweetness. Uh, hop ranges, hop flavors range from none to low levels. And I would say that uh, in this case, it's very like, I would say none really on the hops. I would say it's refreshing up front, but it quickly dries out your mouth. It's like a sponge, like a, a sponge crawled into your mouth and just soaked everything up. <laughs> it's, it's like champagne or, uh, in some ways that, you know, that, that real dry, the real dry champagne. Yeah. It's just like that. And that it provides you no satisfaction when you get past the first sip. You know what I will say about it, though? It has more flavors to it than I expected. I expected Agreed. it to be more piss watery. Um, but it actually, you know, it's, it's not the light version. It's the full the full body version. It does have a little bit more to it. It's not... Yeah, I've had worse. I've had far worse beers, flavor-wise. I still don't like lagers. But I... It's, this is strange. I actually think I prefer this to some of the lagers we've had in the past. <laughs> I, I just don't like the lager flavor as it currently stands. The the two yeast strains just do not lend themselves to my palate. Yeah. Or maybe I haven't had the right lagers. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. Um, I, I think it's more palatable than some of the other ones we've had. And I think that's due to the being how light it is. I think that really benefits yeah. its... You know what, though? If you compare this to, like, let, here's a good comparison, I think, to the lagers we had in the Caribbean... I think this is better than those. This actually has a lot more flavor than those did. Yeah, agreed. And no, those were lighter too. They were, but I'm just saying, if I had if I had to reach for one of those or this one, I would go for this. I'm going for the yellow belly. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, out of those choices, yeah, I really would. Now let's go on. Let's move on to the batch 19. That's more of the craft lager flavor I'm accustomed to. That's got it's like day old bread in the back of your mouth, and like a rye bread. Yeah, um, that has less of the sweet notes up front and has more of the, the dry bread taste in the back of the mouth. is more dominant. Yeah, it's like it's more sweetie, like day-old bready, rye bready up front and a little acrid on the back of your mouth. Yeah, yeah, it is a little, it is a little acrid. But it is more in line with modern craft lagers. Uh, I would say it's a lot more in line with them. Which, which does not suit my palate at all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this, this is a, supposedly another one of those things, kind of like the Not Your Father's Root Beer. We didn't really go over the commercial description, but supposedly this is uh, derived from a recipe found on an old logbook discovered in the brewery <laughs> archives, dating back to, uh, to before 1990. The same, it was actually the or same house 1990, where, 1919. The same house where Not Your Father's Recipes was disco- discovered. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what it does have that the other cores does not is a hoppy flavor. There's definitely some hops in there. Uh, I think that's probably some of the bitter taste and the acrid taste you're getting. Um, uh, maybe you're, you're probably not a fan of the hops they're using either, I would assume. But there is actually a little bit, because they they say uh, it's a pre-prohibition style lager that delivers a bold, hoppy flavor that is surprisingly well-balanced. I don't know if I would agree with that. That's what they say. But it's definitely way more It's definitely way more hoppy than, than the Yellow Belly. For, for Miller Coors, yes, it's bold. Yeah. But I don't enjoy it. <clears throat> Yeah, you gotta like the style of hops, which they don't mention what they use. Well, I think you have to like lagers too, and I just—I know, yeah, I mean that too. But uh, I don't know that these hops would be great in a different style of beer. I don't know what they're using, but I, I just don't like it. It's just—it gets worse with every drink. 
I can't have any more. I'm done. Now, it, to its credit, it's not as mouth-drying as the uh, banquet beer. Yeah, definitely. It uh, gives you a little saliva to work with, so you don't completely pass out and, and <laughs> piss out uh, exactly what this color is. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. It gives you a little bit to keep around, so you don't have to go, you know, just drink a gallon of water and or a gallon of milk, whatever your preferred liquid is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go back and forth real quick here and see. Just mix them together and butt chug them. It, it kind of sounds like you've made your mind up which one you like, but let me... Uh, let me be clear. Me I do don't like either one, but... Well, I know. I'm saying which one wins. For me in this round... Boy, I'm really torn on this because Batch 19 is definitely closer to the craft beer game. Yeah. Definitely more headed in that direction than the banquet beer is. But... I just can't get over the flavor that I don't. I don't like the stale bread flavors in my mouth. The act that the way the acrid, the hops are providing an acrid flavor at the back of my mouth. I just, oh, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I have to give this to banquet beer. You know, having had a few, having had a few sips of both, uh, kind of back to back. Honestly, for me, it makes me appreciate the batch nineteen more. Um. <clears throat> Although, you know, I'll, I think I like harsher flavors than you do in general in beers. And I I, I kind of like that. I think that actually gives the little raw hoppy flavor that it has, as little as it is, I think is actually kind of a nice counterbalance to the, uh, they say well-balanced. I don't know if it's super well-balanced. I think it's a little too hoppy for, uh, for, a, for a lager, quite honestly. But actually, to its credit, I like that. Uh, I think it kind of balances out the bready, sweet flavors that the banquet beer has. I think the... I think one of the things that really turns me off on the regular cores is the the sweet note up front and then the kind of plain bread follow-up taste that then dries your mouth out like the Sahara Desert. And all that that combo to me, I just I, I don't see how somebody drank, you know, a 12-pack of those things or a six-pack of those things and and I don't know why anyone would drive 12 states to, to go get those. <laughs> um, just imagine how bad beer was at the time that true. they would do that. Oh yeah, true. And I mean, I guess that's true probably for uh, any course product. I would say that, but um, man, for me, honestly, it's not that close. I think Batch Nineteen is is far superior out of the two. There, course is better. the The banquet beer is better than I expected, and it's it's not horrible. It's not a one. One's a little too yeah, it's low. harsh. It's harsh, but it's it's definitely the lesser in my in my opinion. I, I see why people rated the Batch Nineteen higher. So I think we're the judges. Uh, we're, we're again split decision split here. Split decision. So I think I think uh, really in the end we have to go to final the uh, the judges scorecards in the end. I I go back and forth on this because I I appreciate I'm I'm trying to find the highlights here. I appreciate what Coors was trying to do with Batch 19. I don't. I think in some ways they succeeded, in others they didn't. Uh, certain qualities about it, like. Uh, the appearance is mostly the main thing. Is that they they succeeded there? It has no aroma. I don't enjoy the 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 flavor combo of bread that was thrown on the street and then mix it with some hops. But you did say it's more of a craft lager taste. But it, you're right, and I'm not disagreeing with you. It is there. It is more of a craft lager taste. So I'm torn at which perspective to take here. <laughs> because I do enjoy the banquet beer more because it has you have a few drinks of it and it has almost no taste anymore. Compared to the continued taste, I don't like with the uh, the batch nineteen, and uh, frankly, the the uh, banquet beer is has a better aroma and has more carbonation, which I enjoy the playful bubbles in my tongue, tiny <laughs> bubbles. But in the end, 
I'm going to give it to Batch 19 by a hair. Ooh. Because they come closer to the craft label that they are trying to be. And it's, believe me, it is a the slimmest of hairs. <laughs> it's like the last hair that's been left on Jason Statham's head. Right. It is the thinnest of hairs. Again, it's I... It's a tiny angel hair. There's, I can't... I don't enjoy the taste, but I think they're closer to what they... The products they're trying to acquire every single month. So I give this one to Coors Batch 19. So, Batch 19 wins. So you're not even going to give a wrap-up, huh? No, I'll give I'll give a I'll give a wrap up, but you didn't give ratings to them. Mm. You should probably right, do that. That's that's true. So I'm gonna give uh, banquet beer mouth drying, like someone just took a, a '70s hair dryer and, and put it on <laughs> high in your mouth. Uh, lovely carbonation. I think it's a really great color actually for beer. It's very clear, pale illustri- That that's that's all great. Don't enjoy the mouth drying. Uh, the flavor's fine because it's unnoticeable, I guess. It's, it's passable. <laughs> it's definitely not a one. Is that, I think that's what it received. Yeah, definitely one. Definitely not a one. One out of 100. Definitely not a one. But I would give it, uh, you know, uh, like a 2.25, something like that. Maybe a, somewhere between a 2 and a 2.25. I don't, like a, a 2.12. And Batch 19, uh, I'm not a lager fan, as we off-stated on the show. I don't like the flavors of this beer at all. Uh, but I feel like again they're they've achieved more here than they should have. So I'm gonna give it like a two point two five as well. Uh, well, well, to rate it fair, a two point two six. Well, yeah, I thought you gave the first one a two point one two. A two point one three. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, so starting with the banquet beer, um, I agree with you. It's got the better color. Uh, it actually has some aroma, which batch nineteen has none. Um, but I mean, let's be honest. What's the important thing? The important thing is taste. That's the heavily weighted rating. That's the heavily weighted category. Um, obviously aroma can affect taste. Uh, so that could be a combo, but ultimately that's what you really care about is how does it taste? And for me, I like harsh flavors. I think batch 19, honestly, if you go to your 60 year old father who drinks uh, regular cores and regular Budweiser and you give him batch 19, He's going to say, that's disgusting, that's way too copy, that's way too crafty, he's gonna and punch, I hate it. Yeah, he's going to punch you in the face and kill your dog. I really think it's that different, honestly, between is, that and a regular, a regular uh, lager. So, your, dad would, your dad is one of oh. those types. He would despise this beer. If it's not regular Budweiser, my dad has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. So Even Coors, is, he doesn't like, because it's too different. So uh, he's a bad example. But yeah, I mean, even if you give it to a standard lager drinker, Batch 19, they're really branching out, and they're probably not going to like it because it's too crafty and too hoppy. Um, I like, I kind of like the bitter flavors. I know Mark hates it in this particular setting. Um, but I, I think it actually balances out what I think I don't like about a lot of lagers is the fact that they have that, that real, real sweet malty upfront, uh, taste, and they don't have any kind of balance to counter that out. Um, and I don't feel like banquet beer had any balance to it at all. It was just pretty much pure, pure sweet. And that was pretty much it. So, uh, that and the heavy bread flavor, um, which, if you ever drink one, you'll understand what I mean. It's really nothing, but you can tell. It's almost a nothing flavor, like Mark was saying. If you drink it a couple times, it almost kind of just fades to nothing. But see, and that's that's where I don't like but, is, is Batch 19 feels like you've been waiting in a bread line for three days, a Russian bread line for three days, <laughs> with buckets of uh, uh, whatever Russian uh, dollars they had back then. And that's you were given stale bread that was two weeks old. Well, I'll tell you what. When I'm done, <laughs> with, when I'm done with my rating, 
I will pour my banquet beer into your glass. You pour me the batch 19 and we'll all be happy. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, okay. What I would say on this is uh, the banquet beer, I pr- drank about a fourth of it and I'm done with it and I never want it again. Uh, it's maybe slightly better than the lemon crawler that we had because that was like an offensive. Oh, it's far beyond that. That was an offensive taste. Do that not compare made me it to, sick. Do not compare it to Rogue Lemon Crawler. No, I know. No, I'm saying that's the worst beer we've ever had. Uh, that was undrinkable. This one to me is also kind of like you said about Batch 19. I feel like the Banquet Beer is almost undrinkable. And this is from a guy who will drink a Miller Lite on you. So it's not like I, I'm just anti-macro beer guy. I just don't like... Uh, I mean, I don't like macro beers in general. But I will on occasion indulge in but those I, if there's nothing else available. Say, if you're pressed into it. Exactly. If there's if it's only macro beers and there's Miller Lite, that's my choice. Or so, water. You go for Miller Lite. Exactly. So... I do have one I support and I'm okay with, so it's not that. But I can't even drink any more of this because I think it's disgusting, to be honest with you. Um, it, it it goes to nothing. I know there's a nothing flavor, but there's also just enough of that malt that it to me it's just like uh, I'm done with this. So for the Coors Banquet, I actually have to give it. It's better than a one for sure, and we do one out of five, and they were doing one out of one hundred, so they're rating it like if we gave it like a point oh one, right? Um, so I'm gonna have to give it. Uh, a 1.75. All right, that's fair. Now, the Batch 19, I could drink this whole one. If you poured me another one, I could probably drink it, and I'd be okay with it. I wouldn't love it, but I'd be like, all right, you got nothing else? I'll pick the Batch 19. That's fine. Uh, would I pick Batch 19 over Miller Lite? I don't know. That's kind of a toss-up. Uh, but I, I would probably put it about on that level of, if Batch 19's around, that's the only offering, I would go for it. So... For that, and the fact that I liked it enough to say I could drink a couple of these, uh, I'm going to have to give Batch 19 a 2.5. And that gives us a final score for Coors Banquet Beer of 1.935. You didn't put the brr in there. (laughs) No, but there's a new one there for us. (laughs) And for the Batch 19, that gives us a final score of 2.315. Well, thanks for listening to our very special episode of The Rude Bloods. Thanks for listening to the show. If you have uh, subscribed to the show, that's great. But if you haven't, you should. Just go to brewbloods.net, and there are all the links there. Google Play, iTunes, RSS, Stitcher, TuneIn, probably some others I can't think of right now because the terrible taste has muddled my brain. Yes, you can listen through MySpace, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, subscribe to the show. It's completely free. All it does is ensure that you get the show every single week if you enjoy it. We'll try to stay out of the macro uh, scene from now on. Uh, you never know. Uh, if you, uh, if you if, enjoy if the show... If we go back into it, it'll be Mark's fault yet again. If you enjoy the show, uh, please go to iTunes and leave us a rating. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoy us, please give us five stars or and or a review as well. We'd really appreciate it. Check us out on all these social networks if you enjoy socializing. It's uh, Tumblr, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we are on Reddit. If you have any comments, reddit.com slash r slash brewbloods, or you can email us brewbloodshow at gmail.com or call us 469-573-BEER. That's 469-573-2337. Tweet us at the mark. And at the WS9775 <laughs> and at Brewbloods, strangely enough. Yeah, any of those. Any any three of those is fine. Well, we'll catch you guys next week for another, hopefully, somewhat special episode of Brewbloods. Probes. Probes. <laughs>